0: Hello, this is Michael Volkov, and this is episode 186 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our episode today is an interview of Pat Harned, uh, the leader of the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. Hope you're doing well. Hope everybody's staying safe and getting the vaccine as soon as possible. Um, I always enjoy having Pat Harned on uh, the podcast. Uh, Obviously, she's a a leader in the ethics and compliance space. Uh, She's just a great person to sort of uh, listen to. Uh, And uh, she's here for an interview, uh, which is about the 2021 Global Business Ethics Survey Report. Great report. Uh, I'd urge you to download it, read it, um, it provides great sort of suggestions and trends as to what's going on in the ethics and compliance world. Anyway, I uh, hope you enjoyed the interview with Pat. Before we get started, though, let's hear from our sponsor, uh, Steel Compliance Solutions.
1: Steel Compliance is the global leader in compliance and ethics management. Steele's compliance and ethics platform is comprehensive, robust, and easy to use to promote a company's culture of compliance. Steel partners with the world's largest, most respected companies to deliver compliance products and services that help organizations embrace a culture of compliance while protecting their brand. Building an ethical culture is a complex undertaking that requires a detailed understanding of the global compliance environment, considerable time, and specialized expertise. Steels end-to-end ethics and compliance platform is designed to provide compliance officers with the solutions they need to proactively address changing regulatory and reputational risks. Steels ethics and compliance automated platform offers critical functions designed to promote a speak-up culture to advance employee engagement, reporting, and incident management, Investigate promptly and fairly potential incidents to ensure compliance with your organization's code of conduct and applicable laws and regulations, including anti-corruption, anti-money laundering, antitrust sanctions, cybersecurity, and data privacy. Manage your organization's compliance policies and procedures to ensure that policies are updated and disseminated effectively so that employees understand your organization's compliance requirements. Educate and engage your organization to promote understanding in how your compliance program applies to day-to-day operations. And evaluate and monitor your organization's business partners, vendors, suppliers, and customers to mitigate risk and ensure adherence to your organization's ethics and compliance requirements. To learn more about Steel's compliance solutions, please contact us at email steelglobal.com or call 415-692-5000.
0: Well, I'm really happy to uh, have Pat Harnett here from uh, ECI, the Ethics and Compliance Initiative. Pat and I uh, go back in time. I don't wanna say how long, cause it'll show my age. But uh, Pat, it's great to have you here. And I really appreciate any opportunity to work with you, speak to you. You're just a, a, a great compliance treasure. And uh, thank you for, for making some time to be uh, with us here.
2: Well, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for allowing me to join you. I'm looking forward to our conversation as always.
0: yeah. Well, Pat, uh, this, uh, you know, this 2021 survey of the state of compliance and ethics, I think is a real tribute to your organization. And uh, in particular, that you were able to conduct this during the pandemic and you and your team. What challenges? I mean, this is amazing to me, but can you sort of fill our listeners in on uh, how you approach this and and some of the challenges you did face? But congratulations to you and your team. Well,
2: thank you. It's It's a tribute to my team, especially. I have been blessed to have a number of very smart researchers that are a part of the ECI staff who just have a great love for this research project. And they were the ones who tried to figure out how do we make this go during a global pandemic. Um, The study itself is a longitudinal cross-sectional study which means we field similar questions every time we do the survey cross-sectional because we don't survey the same people twice. We just draw a sample representing business in different countries. And so we actually field the survey every year but every two to three years we do a trends update, which is what this report is. Um, And backstory, we actually were supposed to do the survey a little bit earlier in the year, but because the pandemic was starting and spreading quickly, we decided to hold off on fielding the survey so that we could ask more questions that would give us more thoughtful answers from people about the impact of the pandemic on their perceptions of ethics in the workplace. Um, So we do work with a third party that does panel representation of people around the world. I think the thing that really played into our hands with this study this year was that it's an online survey. And so it is a little bit easier to access people online. I suspect that because more people who participate in this survey were likely working from their homes. They were a little more likely to take the time to complete it. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of the backstory. It did make for a really interesting set of findings, especially given the fact that this study has been going on for such a long time. So it helped us to be able to put the con- put the findings this year into a much longer context.
0: Well, I... Uh... I mean, that's a real tribute to even the fact that you got this done. I also think it's hard that, you know, even by email or contacting people, some people aren't at work as as much. Some people are just not as focused on certain compliance issues. I mean, everybody, I mean, talk about disruption. This was a disruption this past year was a, a disruptive year. And uh, to come through with, not only the the regular survey, but also your trends survey is really a tribute to you and uh, your organization. Um, I wanted to start, I guess, on one issue that I always love because I uh, I tend to sound like a broken record on it, but the importance of ethical culture, and um, and I always love that all your surveys focus on that, and you don't shy away from it because it's an amorphous concept or whatever. But can you tell us what? you know, what you observed or saw with regard to ethical cultures and any sort of trend uh, analysis in that.
2: Sure, in fact, over the years, this study, this GBES study has been the vehicle for us to really get a sense of how do you actually measure culture? We've been very fortunate to have advisory groups of academics who are some of the leading thinkers on organizational culture and business ethics over the years. So we've developed a set of probably 25 or so metrics that are all in this survey that we roll together to measure culture strength. Um, And one of the other things that has come out of this research actually prior to this year is the importance of culture. We've known it for a long time. I think all ethics and compliance professionals, folks in legal departments, we all know culture trumps compliance. We've just never really been able to hang numbers on it. Um, And so we have learned through this research that the stronger the culture in an organization, the far more likely it is that a company will see all good kinds of things happening, less pressure to compromise standards, less misconduct, greater reporting. Um, So it's actually, there's a 546% difference between people, who work in strong cultures versus weak cultures when they are asked questions like, do you trust your top management? They're far more likely to say, I work in a strong workplace where ethics really matters when the culture is strong. That said, so we have historically looked at the extent to which people say around the world, I work in an organization with a strong ethical culture. and. We didn't see it go down this year. So I suppose that's the good news. Um, You might expect that, especially during a pandemic, more people would say my culture is weakening. We didn't see that, but we have also not seen it go up. So about one in five people in this survey said that they work in an organization with a strong ethical culture.
0: Well, that, and that's kind of interesting. And then, but does that, but here's the thing that's kind of strange to me, Pat, is how do we, account? The, the culture stayed the same, but this was a pandemic year with disruption and a lot of pressure that people felt. I mean, there have been showings, and I've seen studies by, uh, you know on fraud rates are increasing. People working from home has increased pressure on people because of, fa- and then obviously economic and health stress. Um how, so to me the fact that you maintained culture is actually a positive you know yes it didn't go up but you know overcoming that challenge but did we see changes in terms of rates of pressure in general uh and I know you divided it between top management or management and uh, employee level and observed misconduct in uh, reporting of misconduct. In other words, how is that played out? And also, and I, I'm, I know I'm giving you a lot here, but also sort of the trend analysis to me is really, that's one of the, the beauties of this survey and the report you guys have put together.
2: Yes, and that you, thanks. You've asked actually a couple of great questions, so I'll run with it and stop me if I no if I go keep, too going, far. keep going go too far. Um, with respect to culture, I actually do agree with you. It's I think it's a tribute to the work that we're doing in ethics and compliance that we didn't see culture metrics change. In fact, we asked people a lot of questions about how are they doing during this pandemic? How have their interactions changed? 57% of people told us that the nature of their interactions with their colleagues has changed because of the pandemic kind of makes sense. We're all right. working from home. We've had to relearn. How do we relate to each other? And I suspect the differences in what are we talking about when we're talking about ethical culture that has to do with, do you believe your top management, your immediate supervisors, are committed to the values and the standards of the organization. And it appears that people continue to feel that they do, um, or one in five people think that. They're willing to raise concerns if they observe misconduct, or they they say that they would ha- if they were to observe some kind of problem. Um, other, other culture metrics have to do with the extent to which people feel supported if they have to ask a question or raise a concern. Um, They believe there's accountability in the organization. So again, all of those are good signs that even though the nature of our work changed, people absolutely feel more pressure in general, which we can come back to, we're not seeing them so far saying that culture from an ethics perspective is changing. So that is a measure of ethics and compliance programs in place that are still communicating to people in ways that are meaningful. That said, um, you asked about some of the other metrics that we look at. We actually measure, we call them internally at ECI, the big five, (laughs) pressure, (laughs) misconduct, reporting, retaliation, and culture. Those are the five metrics that we expect to see changing, hopefully for the better, the more an organization has ethics and compliance in place. The other metrics, most of them did see dramatic shifts. Um, So when it comes to pressure to compromise standards to do your job, in other words, I feel like I have to cut corners just to keep my job exponential increases in the levels of pressure that people are feeling to cut corners. So more people this year, 30% of people in the U S said, I feel like I have to break the rules to do my job. Um, Misconduct interestingly stayed about the same. So even though more people Mm. are feeling pressure to break the rules, still not necessarily good numbers, half of all people in the U.S. said they observed some kind of activity that they considered to be a violation of standards or the law, but that number didn't change significantly. Hmm. Um, and then we can come back to reporting and retaliation if you'd like, because- Yeah,
0: that's a whole, but I was gonna say, going back to the exponential increase in pressure, It's hard to tease out from that, what is the pandemic relay, you know, because the exponential increase in 2020 could have been, you know, uh, the difficulties and, and sort of new working environment that everybody was in. And could that be, it's hard to tease that out of the 2020 rates, particularly when you compare it, I think you said to 2017, Mm -hmm. And even going back to your study in 2013 and 2011, I mean, this was a big jump. And to me, it's not like corporate pressure and misconduct has exponentially increased. Um, If anything, people have gotten more sophisticated about ethics and compliance. So what do you think about that in terms of how do we, is that part of the explanation here is the pandemic?
2: I think it's possible, and just since the audience is listening to us and not necessarily seeing the charts, historically, the number, percentage of people who feel pressure to break the rules, not just performance pressure, but pressure to have to cut corners to do my job, it's ranged between 14%, you know, 16% was the highest we had seen historically, and that was in 2017. And so we, of course, as researchers, used to get all hysterical if we saw one or two percentage point increase. This past year, we, when we measured in 2017, 16% of people felt they had to break the rules, 30% this time. Hmm. And when we looked at who is it that's actually feeling this pressure, I think that gives us some clues because historically we have also seen that the higher you are in the organization, the more likely it is that you're feeling pressure to compromise standards. Um, This year, more middle managers than top managers said that they feel that pressure. So in other words, they shot up above, it used to always be that top managers tended to be the ones who who felt that pressure the most but this time it's coming from the middle of the organization. And it's hard to say absolutely that that's COVID related or pandemic work, You know, all the shifts related. But one thing we also know is that when organizations undergo transition, they experience more misconduct and people do feel more pressure to compromise standards. We also know because we've all lived it that in the last year, we've all had to completely pivot the way we're working. And that is true for a lot of businesses. And so I suspect that what we're seeing in this increase in pressure, especially for middle managers, is that their work substantially changed. Their performance pressure did not change. Hence, more pressure for them to have to try to keep things going to help their staffs keep things going to hit targets because the economy was really in a free fall. So I, I think that that is where one of the reasons that or one of the places where we've seen COVID have an impact.
0: Yeah and I, I see it and in, in just from my perspective with the sort of supply chain disruptions that occurred This is not going to be, this is where pressure filters down, but the frontline managers who have to, you know, work with logistics, who have to make sure that we're getting our supply done and our distribution chains were all disrupted. So I can see this, uh, it makes sense to me that middle management with economic threats would it would filter down in a way along with the disruptions to put extraordinary pressure on them. And, you know, I'll bet you when you do the, the next survey uh, on this, that I'll bet you, you know, hope it, let's all, you know, hope and pray. We're, we're back to quote unquote normal. I'll bet you it'll come back down to the rates that you saw in 2013,
2: 2017. I hope so. And when you think too about some of the demographics of who's in that middle manager group, you know, top managers, a lot of our organizations have certainly undergone cost-cutting measures. They've offered early retirement packages to people, and it tends to be people higher in the organization. That mid-level manager group, they are often people who have worked for a while. They, in terms of their years of experience, they're likely to be people who have more financial obligations personally in their lives And so for them, one of the ways that we know people feel pressure to compromise standards is that they're frankly afraid they're going to lose their jobs. And the stakes are high for that group. Not that they're not for everybody else, um, but middle managers don't get retirement packages the way top managers do when their organizations are downsizing. So it also could be that that's some of what we're seeing there. And hopefully you're right. I, I hope that the next time we go yeah. to do this survey, the pandemic will be in the rearview mirror and pressure will have changed.
0: One, one other thing I wanted to highlight, which I thought was a, was a really, and I know this is sort of a micro point, but in the area of uh, pressure, um in the global surveys and i know you usually survey mexico brazil france germany spain uk china india and russia which are just is a great cross section but one thing that struck me was and we have a lot of companies and clients who are dependent upon china and the the pressure rise in china in 2020 versus 2019 and 2015 was extraordinary. I, th- I, I think it was like 52% reported versus 10 or tw- uh, 10% in 2019 and 20% in 2015, which to me is just extraordinary. So China was uh, under, I mean, talk about pressure and to the extent we have global companies working in China, this must have put an enormous strain on their operations as well but that I yeah. thought was a fascinating uh, in the in this is why it's so valuable when you do the global trends in terms of this
2: yes agreed and admittedly we're still young in doing the global expansion of this so historically from 1994 to 2016 we fielded this survey only in the US so our data, globally goes from 2016 until this most recent update. So our trend measures are short, short lines, um, but we are learning a lot more about some of the patterns that are happening in these countries. Last time, and in fact, the last couple of times, Brazil, Russia, India, China had stood out as outliers in most of these metrics. And that held true this time as well, so China, uh, India also 50% of people in India said they mm-hmm. feel pressure to cut corners not a huge increase over the last time but still half of all people who took the survey right. answered yes to that question which is concerning and those were the two that I think stood out more so than the other countries where we surveyed
0: right um, so that I, I mean I think that's a fascinating part of the survey so and and it's really helpful. And, and I would expect it'll mature more as you continue to do this in terms of your monitoring of it. Um, let's, I wanted to talk a little bit about observed misconduct and the re and some of your findings there. One of the, um, I always try to pitch, you know, the value of an ethical culture is rates of misconduct go down and that's well established. And, you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know top performers in culture usually perform better than companies without a culture of ethics and the rates of, but the observed misconduct uh, to me is always a an important indicator of sort of the health of a compliance program within let's say the company and i know you use that in your hqps the high quality mm-hmm. program uh elements but what what did you see there? Pat, was there anything interesting that our listeners should look for when they, when they read through this uh, important survey?
2: Sure, just to give a little bit of background about how we measure this. We actually ask people in this survey about misconduct in two different ways. The first thing we do is we'll just ask outright in the last 12 months, have you observed something that you thought was a violation of your company's standards or the law? And then we come back around and we'll ask about a series of types of misconduct that are common to most organizations codes of conduct. And when we ask that list, then if you've answered yes to one of those, we roll that up into a calculation. And what we find over time is that, and this is probably true for people that are surveying in their own organizations. If you ask people outright, did you see something that was wrong? about half as many people will answer yes to that question than if you give them a list of types of misconduct. Mm-hmm. So that's how we come up with this number. Um, and as I, yeah, as I mentioned, and I think a lot of that is that you have to have the example to remember what you've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this survey, we also asked pre and post pandemic about have you observed wrongdoing? And that too is where um, you know, there there it was a striking finding that we didn't really see the overall percentage of people observing misconduct increasing, but we did see increases in certain kinds of misconduct. So for example, um, observed conflicts of interest increased in 2020. Mm. Um, improper hiring practices increased also in 2020. Um, and then others observed health violations. That one I think is particularly important because by asking about health violations, we were inquiring about pressure to come to work when during the pandemic, are you being asked to come in and compromise social distancing rules or other things like that? So the fact that 22% of people said They've observed some kind of health violations. Those tended to be related to observance of regulation around the pandemic. Um, So so overall, not big increases, but I'll also say that historically, conflicts of interest is always in the top three most frequently observed types of misconduct. So it's on the rise, 22% of people, 23, said that they had observed some kind of conflict of interest in the workplace
0: that and and to me though and that's troubling but also the improper hiring practices so that really i i don't remember seeing that as a as a big number in prior years but i may be wrong on that um the health violations makes total sense because everybody's first concern is health and safety can i work at my workplace and not get sick or get exposed to the virus so that I I get that that makes total total sense. Um but then the flip side of the people who observe misconduct is will they report it? And in ethical organizations because I'm more proud of my company and the mission of our company, I if I see somebody doing something wrong, I'm more likely to report it to protect what I believe in, the mission organization. And what do, what, do you think, what do you think about that in, and by the way, these could be in remote working situations where the misconduct could occur, you know, and that raises, okay, let's say you, you're on a meeting or whatever and you, or somebody makes references or there's a plan to engage in misconduct or discussion. You know, reporting is just as important as the, in this context as in any, and you can even argue even more important when we're in the remote working environment.
2: That's actually one of the things that our research team spent a fair amount of time talking about, especially around the misconduct numbers. Is it Could it be that we're not seeing those numbers increase simply because when you're working from home, it's harder to know what misconduct is going on? Um, but that said, and I'll just also throw out one other fun fact because of yeah. the nature of Mike of some of the folks yeah. who listen to you. Yeah, We always do a roll up of what we consider to be fraud, waste and abuse, which as we know, especially in the US, if you're contracting with the government is a huge uh, area of risk for an organization. And we saw, heard 49% of people said that they had observed something that they considered that would constitute fraud, waste, and abuse in the mm. workplace. Um, and, and again, that too, it's hard to know, and I apologize, I don't know whether that went up or down. I think it went up, um, but it stands to reason lots of money has been flowing, especially for small and medium-sized enterprises if they've been eligible to get some of like the PPP loans in the US and other, support in other countries and it could be that if we were to measure again now we would even see that number higher Hmm. Um, but as you said it's I've heard a lot of leaders over the years talk about we know misconduct is going to happen in our workplace the critical measure is are people going to tell us about it Um, and this year the the results were striking we have seen more people say that they reported misconduct either every time they observed it or most of the time they observed it if they saw it more than once in their workplace. 86% of people who observed wrongdoing reported it to management somehow within their organization Mm. to an immediate supervisor, through the helpline, through various channels that their companies provide. And that to me is a great kudos to the ethics and compliance function, because we know that that is something that in our profession, we spend an awful lot of time trying to help people um, feel comfortable coming forward.
0: And that, I mean, that to me, that's the barometer of what we call our speak up culture. And if we're having such a great, that to me is a big, big difference. Uh, I mean, that's a very significant uh, report. I mean, fact, 86% And I'm looking at the graph in 2017, it was 69%. Right.
2: Yes, it's a 44% increase. It's actually, and it's fair to say that today more people come forward to tell management about wrongdoing than ever before in the history of at least in the last two decades that we've been doing this study. Yeah,
0: that is really, that is a tribute to ethics and compliance and to the extent Management is supporting that effort. It's a it, to top management. That's uh, that's really that's a good thing. And maybe it was even more important in the pandemic to in you know make sure we're getting that kind of feedback from uh, from the company p- employees. Yes, and,
2: and and over the years in this research, we've tried very hard to figure out what are the dynamics between a program and a culture, and which influences what. Um, and they can often be interconnected, but one measure that is a, a direct measure of your ethics and compliance program is reporting behavior. So mm-hmm. the fact that we've seen this increase is a measure of the good work that's happening in ethics and compliance programs, which is great. It's, it's, a, it's a terrific measure for us to, to hang our hats on in our profession.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, terrific. Well, let's, um, I, I hate to change the tone here because, I mean, there've been a lot of interesting findings, a lot of positive findings. And one thing that you, your organization has been constantly discovering or confirming, and sort of one of the messages that has to come out of this is the unfortunate rise that we see in retaliation rates against reporters. And I mean, I, I, it would be great, Pat, to hear um, not only, you know, the, the significance of this and the, what your data shows, but I'd also like to broaden it a little bit and just to say, okay, so how do we address this? How do we get to this problem? And I, I mean, that's probably my second question. And, and I'd love to hear what ideas or, you know, you talk to so many important people in business and compliance what what do you what would you tell them what do you tell them to do about this problem
2: so i always feel bad because the minute in these studies we get to rejoice a little bit about reporting numbers and reporting right. trends i have right. to be the bearer of bad news and say but the other shoe let me let the other shoe drop um, and, and unfortunately it has dropped this time. And I actually, I apologize. I think I may have just given you an inaccurate statistic like two minutes ago. So we saw reporting increase by 20% in the okay. last year. I think I said 44. Right. And that's actually because I was looking at my retaliation statistics. Oh, no. So while reporting increased by 20%, which again, highest we've ever seen, more people are reporting than ever. We're also seeing exponentially more people experiencing retaliation for having come forward. Um, So this year, if an employee observed some kind of wrongdoing, about half of the workforce, they tended to report it. So strong reporting numbers, but of those people, 79% of them said that they had experienced some kind of retaliation for having come forward. Um, That's a 44% increase over the last time we measured. Mm. Uh, I wanna say it's an 84% increase since we started doing this study. So to put that into a little bit of context, you know, when when we first started looking at these numbers in 2007, 13% of people said, yeah, if I reported I experienced some kind of harm compared to almost 80% now. That is alarming Um, and it's alarming for a couple of reasons. Through this research and not just ECI, other organizations have found this too, that that when retaliation starts to increase in an organization, people start to go quiet. They tell each other, don't bother to come forward and report because you're only gonna experience harm for it. Um, and that starts to have a silencing effect that allows more misconduct to grow and perpetuate in organizations. So a number of researchers have gone so far as to say retaliation is a leading indicator of culture strength in the future, and I suspect that that is true. Um, And so You know, what do we do about it? The takeaway that we have found over the years is that reporting and retaliation tend to rise and fall together. So the more Mm -hmm. you encourage people to come forward, the risk is greater that they will experience retaliation. Having said that, we've also seen instances in both the data and the research, but also in real practice, that organizations can reduce retaliation rates. It happens in a couple of ways. The first is to communicate and then demonstrate that there is accountability in the organization when people violate the standards. There is accountability in the organization when you can substantiate that people have retaliated employees who have come forward. That effort, it's not just talk. You can't just put out posters that say, we don't tolerate retaliation. You have to actually follow that up with action, which is really hard to do. Um, Another practice that, that we have seen to be very successful is if your organization, when you're receiving reports from employees, talk with them about what retaliation can look like Give them a sense that it could happen to them and you want them to come back and continue to talk with you. But also, there are companies that have established great programs to keep track of the well being of employees who come forward to report, to check in with them periodically, to keep an eye on their performance reviews. Um, and if you start to see anomalies, to follow up with them because one of the things that we know is that people come forward and report and then they leave. Um, In a previous GBES, we learned that retaliation, if it's going to happen, is going to happen very quickly, like within the first 30 to 60 days before you've even ramped up your investigation process. So the moment somebody comes forward to report information, Whether or not there's a formal investigation underway, that communication has to start immediately. That tracking of that employee, just for the sake of being supportive, um, is critical because this retaliation is insidious and it is extremely worrisome that we're seeing it rise to the levels that we're seeing now.
0: And I have two two points I want to make on that. One is I, did, I had a client who um, they, on the accountability issue, they ended up um, disciplining and made it very uh, apparent that somebody was disciplined. And I can't remember if they disciplined or terminated them for retaliation. And they told me that the best thing that happened to their culture was when they did that because word spread and that, that we were going to hold people accountable for that kind of behavior. The other thing I wanted to underscore, which I think is just a terrific idea, is that when you have a complainant, what you're saying is to sit down and explain to them what might occur. Because they may not be aware of the beginnings of it, but then they may get the subtle sort of results of it which play out. And then they're all of a sudden wondering what the heck is going on. And I think that's a terrific idea in terms of your handling of complainants and uh, educating them on that. So, you know, um, uh, it's a really difficult problem, and the last thing we need what's interesting is while retaliation rates have gone up it hasn't reached to the point where you're seeing reporting rates going way down, and that's interesting but it, it, the the next year will be important, I think to see how this how this goes but i've heard and the problem with retaliation is it's so it can be done subtly it's not done overtly. It's done subtly, and people have to be very sensitive to those kind of uh, subtle maneuvers that are done. So
2: that's exactly right. Every time we ask about retaliation, we ask people, "What what did that retaliation consist of?" And the vast majority of it is social. I was ignored by my supervisor. My colleagues treated me differently. Uh, I was excluded from work activity, or felt that I was, maybe not in a personnel way, but in a team kind of environment. Those are very hard to substantiate, if not impossible to substantiate. But for the people who came forward to report, it's real. It is retaliation. It doesn't matter whether the company can substantiate it. and by now the audience is probably aware I'm not a lawyer. And if you are an attorney, you probably get some heartburn (laughs) when I say things like sit down with the person who's reporting and tell them it is possible. You are going to feel that you're treated differently. We're here to support you. It's, you know, it's not from legally, that's a different kind of conversation. And I, I completely understand that, but for people who are coming forward, it's a huge act of courage the most important thing for them is to know two things. One, that the company supports them and is going to protect them as best they can. And two, that they're going to take action based on the information they've received so far. And I think as companies, we do a good job of helping people understand the process that's going to, could take place, the investigation part. But it's in the support part that we have some work to do. And and that is where It's also entirely possible that once people make a report, they're more sensitive to the way other folks around them are behaving. And it could be they're not being treated differently, but they feel they're being treated differently because they're more sensitive about it, more insecure. And that's why having that talk with them carefully, thoughtfully um, to help them understand that they are likely to feel more sensitive that this is something the company's concerned about. You want to know if they start to feel they're being treated differently. It at least puts them in a different place the moment they hang up from a making a call or disconnect from a website or walk away right. from their supervisor, however it is they've made that report.
0: Right. Well, I I totally agree, Pat. Um, Well, listen, thank you so much. I know we've taken a lot of your time, but this has been fascinating. Uh, Congratulations to you and your organization on just another great uh, compliance and ethics uh, resource. And um, uh, I wanted to just sort of, if people wanna get the, I'm obviously gonna have this in the show notes, but if people uh, need to reach uh, the site and where do they go to get a copy of this uh, latest report?
2: The report is available to the public for free. And all you need to do is come to our website, www.ethics.org, and you'll see prompts to lead you to the place where you can download the report.
0: And Pat, if people want to reach you, is it, are you reachable through the website uh, in terms of trying to follow up on any issues.
2: Yes. And, and my email is pat at ethics.org. Nice and simple.
0: That's simple. Wow. That's great. So well, you must get a lot of reporting. So, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Pat. Again, uh, your work is just amazing. You know, I'm one of your biggest fans in the world and your organization is just uh, incredible. And so thank you again for everything that you all do. And, uh, the con, please continue all the great work and we appreciate it
2: well thank you again for having me i'm a big fan of yours i listen to your podcast regularly so i mean not well, listen to myself that's a good question oh well, yeah yeah you have
0: to listen to yourself are you kidding no i appreciate that pat but anyways best of luck to you and keep up all the, the great work and we we appreciate everything thank you
1: You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.